Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Yep, we're back in meltdown mode, no doubt about it. Dow plunging 449 points, S&P plumbing 1.23%, and NASDAQ tumbling 1.32% today. Money managers are stealing themselves, waiting for something terrible to happen. And it sure is hard to blame them, isn't it? I mean, this is a brutal environment with a lot of truly awful possibilities. And I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow's worse than today, especially after the big run we have had. I don't blame anyone for wanting to take profits after last week's phenomenal move. But at moments of extreme doom and gloom, like I saw today, I need you to remember that the bears could perhaps be wrong. While that may sound nonsensical, let me explain why it might make sense to stay the course. See, after yesterday, the averages had retraced 50 percent. Keep that number in mind. 50 percent of the post member decline. And that is a gigantic gain. According to the legendary Larry Williams, arguably the best technician and market historian in the business, certainly the best in our show, ever since 1929, there have been 21 times where we saw a 50% retracement. 21 times. And each time, the market went higher not long after. Not lower, higher. The last time being 2020. Every single time. To me, that, would, that, that, that one weird statistic should be enough to keep you in all by itself. Very few indicators bat 1,000. I know many of you rebel at this kind of analysis. We don't really know why it works. And there are so many things going wrong. But because of this one statistic, you got to ask yourself, what can go right? Of course, on a day when a giant tech company like Adobe disappoints the street, and in the morning, and then in the evening, giant home builder KB Homes disappoints, it's a little frightening to consider some what-if scenarios, right? Sound like a Pollyanna. I think it needs to be done, though. Last week, we saw what happens when Wall Street gets too negative, right? Even as I told you repeatedly that there would be likely another leg down before this market can get its footing. I think we're kind of in that moment, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as others. But yes, some really bad things out there. So in the spirit of going against the grain, though, let's try to figure out what could go right. Yesterday, a top advisor to Putin, one of the oligarchs who elevated him in the 90s, actually quit and fled the country. You don't go into exile when you're on the winning side, do you? Now, our intelligence agencies have been pretty accurate about Putin's plans. They say this high-level official was against using tactical nukes or chemical weapons, so he left. Very bad. 
But given that Putin now says that he wants to attend the G20 meeting in Indonesia in the fall, I suspect weapons of mass destruction are less likely, not more. Otherwise, he wouldn't dare to leave Russia for a neutral setting where he could be assassinated. But what if at this week's NATO meeting, the so far toothless organization agrees to flood Ukraine with advanced weaponry, including planes? While we're not going to see uh, ground troops or no-fly zone equipment, that could be another story. Putin doesn't like to lose. If you study what he did to Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, during the Chechen Wars, you can see an astounding level of ruthlessness. He told the residents he was going to level the city, and that's exactly what he did. Some people say he killed 5,000. Some people said he killed 8,000. I've seen numbers as high as 30,000. It's easy to see how he might be tempted to do the same thing to the uh, capital of Ukraine. Make no mistake, he can't take Kiev door to door. It's a city of 300,000 buildings, nearly 3 million people. Even raising the city with artillery might be a stretch because who knows if they have that much ammunition. Of course, Putin could. I hate to even think this, but he could, he could kill Zelensky. He's trying very hard to do that. I think this is important. Back in the day, Russia killed the leader of the opposition, Chechnya, with a targeted missile. And that was pre-Putin when the nice guys ran the Kremlin. But we have to ask, what if Putin simply can't win? What if he simply doesn't have the manpower to take over a country of 44 million people or 39 million now that so many have fled? Best case, maybe settles for a limited victory, maybe taking a corridor to Crimea and calling it a day. If that happens, the war would be over. And what would be, what would be the immediate outcome? Energy prices would collapse, as would wheat, aluminum, grain, nickel. The stock market would go through the roof. How about another what if? What if the rapid rise in interest rates quickly leads to a slower economy? We just saw a 12% decline in mortgage applications year over year this very morning. That's precipitous. But it makes sense given that mortgage rates have suddenly jumped to 4.72%. That is a gigantic increase versus a few months ago. KB Home just reported that terrible number I mentioned. If the close, one of the most salient statistics, inventory was up 8%. Fed might be getting lucky here. You think housing prices can still jump 20% when rates pile higher and there's a sudden balloon of inventory because prices are out of hand? There should be a pause as potential buyers either wait for a decline or simply decide the cost is too prohibitive and stay put. I know a lot of people think house prices never come down, but they obviously weren't trying to sell their home in 2009. So what if a major chunk of the economy suddenly does slow? Remember, we're in a bad news is good news moment with the Fed. Housing cooling down is exactly what Jay Powell wants to see. Now, here's a final what if. What would happen if the pandemic really is over? I listen to Dr. Scott Lieb every morning on Squawk Box because he's been the most right of all the commentators since the beginning of this nightmare. Today, he said COVID is basically over. Two years to the day that things got out of control. We don't have any idea what things would look like in this country, really, if COVID, the whole COVID cataclysm just ended. Now, there would be a cessation of fear that would bring millions back to work, I think. We hear from CEO after CEO that there's still plenty of people who haven't returned to the office. If we were all certain that those of us who've been vaccinated most likely won't go to the hospital, I think the holdouts would finally be willing to come back because the onus would be on them. We keep underestimating COVID's impact on our lives and the economy as a whole. So many people still won't do the things in person. And believe me, I get it. I don't want to be too anecdotal, but the attitude of Florida where I was last week toward gatherings is still night and day versus New York. Heck, I, I got my usual Wednesday test today. Nothing like a test to throw some fear in your head, right? J-Pal might find himself in a market where unemployment rises and wage gains decelerate. Can you imagine? Obviously, that's bad news for Main Street, but Wall Street would be thrilled. Sure, there are plenty of reasons to stay out of some stocks. Hey, look, I interviewed Shantanu Narayan, the great chairman and CEO of Adobe this morning, a total mainstay tech name. Uh, and it was tough because the company was in free fall. The stock just going right down on an ever so slight miss. 
But Adobe has a history of transferring estimates and growing very quickly. This time, it didn't grow quickly enough for a stock that sells at 31 times earnings. The market remains brutal to tech outfits that can't beat the numbers. Sean reminded us how strong this business is, many different divisions. But Wall Street was not appeased, talking about competition on every different level. Uh, this despite the stock already being beaten down 33% coming into today. But the bottom line, history is very clear. It says you must stay the course. The S&P 500 has already had a successful 50% retracement of its huge decline. And in the 21 times that's happened since the Great Depression, it's meant the decline is over every single time. Could this time be different? Sure. But don't ignore the very real possibility that good things can happen, too. Let's go to Juan in Michigan. Juan. Hey, Jim. Juan. First time calling. And I am... Wondering about the stock 3MM. I bought in at 149. Wondering if I should continue to buy the dip. Uh, I don't want you to buy the dip because there are some unanswered legal questions uh, that may make the stock so it goes back down again. It is a dividend aristocrat. It has a habit of, of raising its dividend. But I do think that the legal issues are going to cause people to be too worried about the stock to be taking a long-term position. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael. Hello, Jim. A Michael. big booyah to sunny Fort Myers, Florida. Nice. My question is on Verizon. It's been going sideways for five years. I own it as a bond replacement. Morningstar okay. has a fair value of 59 on it. Will 5G ever matter? It seems greatly underappreciated. Is this dead money or will it actually I, no, pay I off? I think it's better than that. Uh, I do think it yields five. It went down to five, frankly, because interest rates went up so much that people are selling for that. Uh, I think business is pretty good there. I would be a buyer of the stock at nine times earnings with a 5% yield. Let's go to Jim in Florida, please. Jim. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I got a question for you. Sure. I, I know you've touched on this company before. Used to be a darling of the market, but since so many darlings have fallen. Tulio. Look, Tulio's got a great See, here's the problem, Jim. Tulio's got a great, pro, uh, great, great product. I mean, everyone knows. But it doesn't make money. And in this world, if you're not making money, if you're not selling a product that people want, making a profit and being able to return it to some, then it is just going to be in the doghouse. And every time the stock rallies, it's going to be sold. And that's where we are until the Fed gets control of inflation. All right. History is clear on where we stand right now. I say you have to stay the course, but I understand how you feel. I know you probably think it's too hard. I'm saying don't. Keep your finger on the hold button, not the sell button. On Mad Money tonight, F45 is an all-star lineup of investors from Mark Wahlberg to David Beckham. But could the stock be an all-star for your portfolio? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then there was a lot to love from the keynote from modern-day Da Vinci, Jensen Wong, and I'm breaking down what we learned from NVIDIA. And Holly came public via SPAC last year. So could this be well, maybe one of them that bucks the SPAC? Well, the detritus of SPACdom? I'm talking to the company's top press. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., an outproven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. I'm constantly lamenting the fact that we got hit with hundreds of bogus IPOs last year. Hey, but you know what? There were some legitimate businesses in there that unfortunately got buried under the tide of garbage. Take F, that's in Frank, F45 Training. It's a franchise-based gym chain that came public last July. And you might remember that Mark Wahlberg was there as a major investor. Unfortunately, the deal came just as the Delta variant got rolling, and the stock immediately tumbled from $16, where it came public, to 9 and change at its lows in November December. But F45 is a real company with real earnings, one that should get an enormous boost as people recover from the pandemic and go back to their normal lives. We aren't there yet, though, and the stock continues to struggle, in part because it did report what some analysts call a noisy quarter a couple weeks ago. I like the big picture story. I always have to be concerned about execution. These levels of the stock now is trading at less than 12 times next year's earnings estimates. It could be a steal, assuming F45 can get its uh, its house in the order that some of the analysts want. I very much like the idea of owning a gym stock as America reopens, but it's a tough business, as I know, since I own one. So let's take a closer look with Adam Gilchrist. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of F45 Training. Learn more about his business and his prospects. Mr. Gilchrist, welcome to Man Money. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Jim. Very exciting time uh, and really excited about presenting some of the, the numbers for last year. Well, let's talk about that because I know some may be familiar from when you came public, but maybe you can give us a quick overview of F45's training concept and how quickly you have been able to become one of the larger companies in franchise history. Yeah, sure. Well, F45 is a functional training workout. Uh, we do team training with uh, members gathering 27 up to 36 members per class. Uh, a typical franchisee, uh, you know, would, would roll somewhere between eight and 10 classes out per day. So we have the capability and the capacity to, to typically train somewhere between 270 to 350 folks per day. Uh, our modality of training is HIT, which is an acronym for High Intensity Interval Training. And what's really exciting about our business is the innovation. So people want to turn up and be, you know, put through a grueling class, but more importantly, they want to be refreshed every day. And we currently have the largest exercise encyclopedia in the world with over 8,000 filmed exercises. And with those exercises, we deliver a choreographed workout over the internet and into the franchisee's studio, where they obviously have the capability then to train, like I mentioned, up to 36 folks per day. The second really important key pillar in F45 is the team training aspect. Because what we know for a fact is people love training in communities. And what we're trying to do 
is get obviously all of our franchisees reopened. We're currently just under 98% of our network reopened. Mm-hmm. And getting those communities moving again for us is an is a incredibly important aspect to our success. Okay. Well, Lastly. But, but let me ask you before you go, I mean, we know we have Lifetime Fitness. We have Planet Fitness. Uh, there are a lot of different private guys. I mean, how are you able to distinguish among the fray and how are you able to keep your employees given the fact that the competition is so intense in your business? Well, there's a few um, answers to that question. Number one, uh, we are a group training business. Very different to some of our peers where you walk into a, a, you know, a fantastic gym and we've got some incredible businesses that we do compete against. But I, I suppose the paradigm shift here is the fact that you're in, you're in a studio training with friends, new friends, uh, and, and you're getting an experience where you can obviously share, obviously, your results with the folks around you. You know, when, when we talk about, you know, getting results as our third key pillar, we, we see a lot of folks that come out of what we would describe as these big box uh, gymnasiums mm-hmm. and really want, you know, really want to have, you know, a, an, an environment where they can get great results. And we believe, like I said, the three key pillars that are really necessary to, to, to success for an individual member is having innovation for them where the workout changes every day training in a team environment. But lastly, we do believe HIT as a modality is the best way to get results. 45 minutes in, workout changes every day. Uh, and, and for franchisees, at three hundred to $350,000 to establish, we're extremely inexpensive in comparison to some of our peers as well. Um, so that what's interesting is that, you know, it's, it's a value chain where a member gets great results, Our franchisees generate 35% cash on cash returns. And at head office level, you know, we have a business that generates incredible. We just spit cash off, which we love. But more importantly, it's very predictable cash. Everything is contracted in. I know when I read through your... uh your documents, I think you spent more time talking about that the fran- how the franchisees do than necessarily how they, uh, the clients do. Uh, the emphasis seems to be on the franchisees, but you've been telling me about the clients. Um, it, it, what should be the, uh, the appeal to Wall Street? Should we be thinking about how well the franchisees do, or should we be thinking about your same store sales and how you're doing competing and uh, your, your raw costs? And I, because I, I do find it, uh, it confusing. The message is a little confusing for me. Sure. I think, firstly, you know, the first metric that I believe is arguably the most important is visitation with the membership base. Okay. As we sit here today, we have the highest visitation in the industry of over three visits per week on average per member. So that, that, what that suggests is it reduces your churn. There's sort of an inverted relationship between somebody that turns up frequently and right. the likelihood of them leaving. So number one, we believe that visitation is crucial. Yes, same-store sales growth is extremely important okay. and one that we're very focused on. But for us, we, we actually, you know, sit here and we, you know, we wake up with a mandate every single day to choreograph the world's best workout and to deliver that to our franchisees who in turn then go out and build these incredible communities. Um, I believe that a lot of folks in Wall Street uh, really do understand our story. Uh, and, and our story is extremely simple to get. We're rolling out many studios. We're in 70 different countries, mm-hmm. which really evidences that we are a very portable business that sort of transcends languages, 
geographies, uh, religions, uh, and, and okay. we're really excited by that because in emerging markets, we're seeing this huge demand that has never obviously had a supply uh, from a supply point has it ever been met? So right. we're, we're going to we're going to have to leave it there. But I think that I like the enthusiasm for it. I'm glad you explained the the business model better. I, I know that uh, very profitable, and a lot of people might want to be franchisees. A lot of people want to go to F45 to learn how to have a fun exercise that's brand new each time. Adam Gilchrist, F45 training co-founder and CEO, symbol FXLV. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks so much, Jim. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, key takeaways from an event that showed a hopeful glimpse of the future. Another page written in the legend of Jensen Huang. Next. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Never get so wrapped up in the present that you forget about the future. For the last four months, we've been living through a tech stock apocalypse. With only a handful of exceptions, even the best of the best have come down substantially from their highs. Formerly beloved names like Adobe, down more than 9% today, are now ignored or even hated. And sometimes with good reason. See, right now we've got rampant inflation, which is toxic to fast-growing tech stocks that trade on their future earnings prospects, the so-called out years, we call them. But just because their stocks have fallen out of favor, that doesn't mean the underlying companies have stopped innovating. And that's why tonight I want to focus on the semiconductor titan that I believe will own the future because you're getting a chance to buy it at a discount in the present. I'm talking, of course, about Kramer, Fave, NVIDIA. A stock I like so much that we own it for the charitable trust, which you can follow by joining the CNBC Investing Club. We talked extensively about this one on our on morning meeting, Jeff Marks and I, at 10.20 a.m. I think you'll love it. This week, NVIDIA is holding its annual GPU technology conference. Now, it's called GTC for short. And yesterday, we got CEO Jensen Wong's keynote address. I have this event circled on my calendar every year because it serves as a great reminder of what makes NVIDIA truly special. And it gives you some tremendous insight into the future of technology. Plus, Jensen is a visionary who's created a stunning amount of value for his shareholders. Just in the last seven years, his stock has gone from $5 to the 250s. I'm not the only one who was looking forward to this. After plummeting 40% from its November highs, NVIDIA bottomed at 206 a little over two weeks ago, then snapped back to the 260s right before this event. Ultimately, the stock pulled back a bit in response, but I think that was a classic buy-the-rumor, sell-the-news trade. 
Frankly, I'm much less concerned with the day-to-day action in NVIDIA's stock than I am with the future of NVIDIA's business that Jensen laid out yesterday. In fact, I was so blown away by his presentation that I watched it twice, passing up one dropout, dope-sick, and bad vegan. So now I want to give you a little sneak peek at the recap we did for the CNBC Investing Club this morning. Let's start with the new technology, where NVIDIA continues its habit of blurring the lines between reality and science fiction. On the hardware side, Jensen rolled out new graphics processors, the kind that are so powerful that they're being used in data centers for large language models, recommendation systems, healthcare research, and climate science. He's got a central processing unit designed for artificial intelligence and high-performance computing. He's got a new chip-to-chip model that allows CPUs, GPUs, data processing units, and systems on a chip to work together seamlessly. You know that Moore's Law over at Intel where the number of transistors they can pack into a single chip doubles every two years? Well, Jensen has broken those shackles, which now seems more like a mental prison of Intel's own making. NVIDIA's graphics cards pack so much power and speed that I I don't know how Intel can can catch up, frankly. Well, on the software side, NVIDIA had major announcements for autonomous driving. They're working on what's basically a central nervous system or an artificial intelligence brain for new electric vehicles. They've also got a map engine that uses a ton of different inputs and sensors to create a constantly updating digital twin of all the major highways in North America, Western Europe, and Asia that should be ready by the end of 2024. Jensen really went all in on the digital twin concept, which is where companies use the metaverse or the omniverse, as NVIDIA calls it, to create realistic models that obey all the laws of physics. He loves talking about that. Think of it as the next generation of digital prototyping. You can combine this with machine learning, too. In the presentation, Jensen showed us the process of teaching a digital character to move more naturally. Thanks to his technology, he could cram 10 years worth of simulations into just three days. At the same time, we also learned about Omniverse Cloud, a suite of services that can give anyone instant access to NVIDIA's Omniverse platform for 3D design collaboration simulation. Are you listening, Mark Zuckerberg, over at Meta? He showed us four users editing a scene as a demonstration with the twist being that one of those users was actually an Omniverse avatar that was both taking commands and using the software in real time. I I was blown away. NVIDIA's artificial intelligence can write symphonies. One snippet was played for. It can teach machines how to use a wrench. It can make an avatar speak 27 languages. It can show you how cancer cells reproduce, and that could be the key to beating this terrible disease. Long story short, NVIDIA doesn't just have exposure to the biggest secular growth stories of our era. Their technology is literally what makes those stories possible. Think gaming, automation, robotics, the metaverse, and artificial intelligence. Right now, the market may not care about this stuff because Wall Street's in a real defensive crouch. But once the Fed gets inflation under control, and I think it will, NVIDIA's stock's going to roar back. As for the actual business, it hasn't missed a beat. Yesterday, the company announced a score of new partnerships. I want to highlight a few of them because they perfectly demonstrate the power of NVIDIA's technology and how far ahead they are of everybody. They're working with Lucid Group, the electric vehicle startup that we've profiled behind Motor Trends 2022 Car of the Year on advanced driving assistance systems. ADAS. They're working with Kroger, nice upside surprise, on a state-of-the-art AI lab to optimize the supermarket chain's logistics and help improve the shopping experience. That includes digital twin simulations, as you know I like. Hey, by the way, Best Buy, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart are all harnessing the same technology. Siemens uh, Games of Renewable Energy is using NVIDIA's platform to design better wind farms using digital twins. They think it can ultimately boost the power output of new windmill installations by 20%. That's insane, guys. These are expensive things. NVIDIA is working with Microsoft on Translator, 
where they're working on AI to help people who speak different languages communicate in real time. That's part of the video. This is one area where NVIDIA has a major edge. They've got the best inference technology, which is what computers need to understand actual human speech. Oh, by the way, inference is also, if you like this book, you might like that. That's NVIDIA. We also heard about uh, several smaller healthcare partnerships, including the University of Florida, which has teamed up with NVIDIA to generate synthetic clinical data, basically training digital twins with patient data, and then using them to run simulations that mimic the real world. At the same time, representatives from GlaxoSmithKline, Merck, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers, Eli Lilly, McKesson, even the Mayo Clinic chimed in to talk about how they rely on NVIDIA's technology. These are major, major players. No company has this roster. Now, there was also an Investor Day component to yesterday's event where we got one very important data point. According to NVIDIA, they now have a $1 trillion total addressable market. Lately, Wall Street doesn't put much sense in these forecasts, and you always have to take them with a grain of salt. But this is not some fly-by-night tech startup. NVIDIA has earned the benefit of the doubt. They're talking about the $300 billion addressable market in autos, another $300 billion in chips and systems, $150 billion in AI enterprise software, $150 billion in omniverse enterprise software, and $100 billion in gaming, which is really what they used to be known as. CFO Collette Crest laid it all out in incredibly compelling detail. She's darn rigorous. What it all boils down to is that NVIDIA is one or two steps ahead of the competition in nearly every market where it competes, as J.P. Morgan put in their own research update at the event. And I say they are light years ahead of all companies when it comes to artificial intelligence melding with machine learning. Here's the bottom line. I know this is a tough market for a stock like NVIDIA, and I wouldn't be surprised if it has another leg lower. But when you look at what this incredible company is coming up with, I think NVIDIA owns the future. That's why I still love the stock long term, and I view any weakness as a chance to buy more gradually on the way down. Oh, and if you watch the video, I promise you'll be blown away when Toy Jensen converses with the real Jensen. It doesn't get any more futuristic than that. Dave in Michigan, Dave. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Dave. Hey, Jim, I need some help. Sure. I own, I own Uber. I bought it, and now it's down. And it's been down, and I'm concerned. Should I hold on to it and wait for it to bounce back or move on and get something more profitable? I think that you can wait. Uh, Derek Costasari is doing a very good job there. Of course, the problem here is that it's a very cutthroat market. But I, so therefore, I, am, I don't like companies that don't make money, as you know that. Uh, and they're not going to make money next year. So I would, on any bounce, sell the stock. Michael in Florida. Michael. What's up, Kramer? Michael here from beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. First oh, time nice, caller, lifetime nice. listener. Big fan of the show, brother. My stock is C Limited, sticker symbol SE. Jimmy, it's down about 43% since its recent highs back in October 2021. I know. Jimmy. It's a total information technology play, and everybody loves it because it's kind of like a Google meets a Facebook and everything, but it meets an Amazon. But here's the problem it's losing money. And I am telling people to scale out of the stocks of companies that are losing money and get into the ones that are making money. I'm not changing my view just because we've had a nice retracement. NVIDIA owns the future, people. And that's why I still love the stock and view weakness as a chance to buy more gradually on the way down. Now, much more man money, including my exclusive with Holly. Yes, with an auto manufacturing still red hot, could Holly, that's H-O-L-L-E-Y, benefit from the demand? I'm talking to the CEO of this newly public auto parts company that's been around for a long time. And J-Pal is a daunting task ahead of him. I'll reveal what I think he has to do to succeed. And all your calls, rapid fire, and tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tonight, we're getting a chance to kick the tires on some of the higher quality outliers from last year's wave of IPOs and SPAC deals that I know I've been so tough on. 
You know most of these newly public names are not my cup of tea. There are too many with no earnings, in some cases no revenues, and even a few don't even have a business model. But there are some exceptions, profitable companies that seem intriguing, although they still need to be approached with caution because they're relatively unknown quantities with not a lot of research. Which brings me to Holly, a SPAC play that makes aftermarket auto parts for high-performance vehicles. Think electric fuel injectors, custom ignition, carburetors, exhaust pipes, and safety equipment for race cars or off-road vehicles. Holy cow, this is a real business. Now, we recommended this one two months ago after running a screen for newly public stocks. With cheap, uh, and I've got to tell you that we're cheap and had actual earnings growth. Now, since then, Holly's has given us a nice run from 11 to 14, better than a sharp stick in the eye. Even after that run, the stock sells for less than 16 times next year's earnings. So is there more open road ahead for this one? Let's check in with Tom Tomlinson, the president and CEO of Holly, to get a better read on his business and where it's headed. Mr. Tomlinson, welcome to Man Money. Hi, Jim. Excited to be here. Well, I am excited to have you on, Tom. We got a caller who knew about you. We checked into your company. It's profitable. It's very cool. But most of our viewers have not heard of it yet. So I'm going to give you the floor to tell people what you do. Okay. Well, we, we, uh, we really start by focusing on our consumers. And, and these are enthusiasts that absolutely love their cars and trucks. They, uh, you know, they actually love to buy our products. To, uh, to personalize and modify their vehicles. And um, we, uh, we, we're very focused on growth. Uh, we grow through innovation, and that's developing exciting new products for, for our enthusiast consumers, as well as M&A, which allows us to add categories and uh, pr- product categories, vehicle platforms, um, as well as invite new consumers uh, into our fold. Right. You just, you just did some M&A. That told me after you did it that there might be you could be a consolidator for this industry. Absolutely, we've had a lot of experience, very successful experience with M and A. We have a very methodic program, and you know it's part of our strategy to accelerate the company's growth. It does seem that you mentioned the customers. I would describe them as say affluent. Um, they spend more than the typical car enthusiasts, and they're just completely nuts about the stuff you make. <laughs> that, that's absolutely right. Uh, we like to say we're a, a business built by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. We have a lot of enthusiasts in the company, and uh, you know we're talking people here who absolutely love their vehicles. Uh, there are about 15 million avid consumers uh, of, of these high-performance products, uh, in the uh, you know in our in our industry, and that compares pretty favorably to about nine million golf enthusiasts. Just to give a little context, and uh, the, the broader group of enthusiasts is about fifty million. Well, we got that going there. I um, mean, you also uh, transformational digital. You says you know you say the DTC opportunity with omni-channel distribution. So it's not like you're sitting back and waiting for the customers to come. You've got a very modern approach to what you're doing. That's right. Uh, we want to engage with our consumers however they prefer to engage. Um, so digital is a big part of our, our outreach and engagement with our consumers. Um, you know, the website, certainly um, social media. We, we are creating our own content, both video and we have a digital publication uh, called Holly Motor Life. Um, and we also engage with them via email and chat and telephonically. They reach out to us for product recommendations as well as uh, help 
you know, either installing advice, installing uh, some of the products they purchase, as well as troubleshooting their installations. All right. Now, you also know, I know you posted some excellent numbers, but you did say that uh, just like so many other companies, you're not immune to supply chain problems. We're not. Supply chain has definitely been a challenge, but we've managed it effectively and, uh, you know, excited that we've been able to post great, great growth throughout, um, you know, this COVID and post-COVID period. Um, we, um, um, you know, we, we've, we've left some dollars on the table, though, still, and uh, we're operating with a bigger book of, you know, big, bigger book of business uh, backlog. Uh, than, than we've ever had. And so uh, that's one of our focuses to, to really unlock more growth by, um, uh, you, you know, working through those supply chain issues. I also like your experiential aspect, the community that you're building. Now that COVID's over, I think you can go places with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, we started that in 2010 and we were amazed by, you know, just the tremendous amount of consumer interest uh, we've added to it, uh, you know, over the years, it's continued to grow. We, uh, we, you know, in the earlier days, you know, the magazines would write about it. Uh, you know, now so it, it's huge on social media. Um, and in fact, um, just last year, the last part of the year, we added another event that's focused on EVs, a highly high voltage event that we held at Sonoma Raceway in California. All right, Tom, one last question. Uh, the reason why I wasn't familiar with the company, frankly, is because I have avoided the SPACs. I like traditional because I can check with analysts. Are, are you happy with the way it all came down with SPACs? Well, for, from our perspective, it was a relatively quick way for us to become a public company. We were looking for what is the next phase in our development? How do we access capital? And, uh, you, you know, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Jim. I mean, ba- basically, we're a real business. I mean, the, Holly was founded in 1903. And uh, we, we took the reins of the business uh, early in 2010. And uh, we, we did a, an acquisition in our first year. We've continued to be acquisitive. And, uh, you, you know, we want to see the business grow. And we feel like we're stewards of just a, a great portfolio of iconic brands that our enthusiasts absolutely love. Well, I think people are going to be talking about your company for a long time. Uh, and that when I saw it, I said, wow, you've got this one to yourselves. So I really want to thank you, Tom, for coming on. Tom Tomlinson, President and CEO of Holly. The symbol is H-L-L-Y, real company making real things. Thank you, sir. Great to see you. My pleasure. Great to, great to see you, Jim. Yeah, money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's time for the lightning And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time to learn. Christmas is over. Jim in Michigan. Jim. Oh, yeah, Jim. I'm calling from St. Clair, Michigan here. I have a question about some stock I have. Okay. It's a, a three-piece system. D-E- you know what? That is always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I have to tell you, I think the 3D systems and that whole 3D world is just not going to make money for people. I suggest you do NVIDIA, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. We'll get you there faster. Wayne in New York. Wayne. Hey, Jim. How are you? All right. How are you, Wayne? Very good. Uh, 
for over 100 years, AT&T was one of the, the highest blue-chip dividend stocks. I accumulated a lot of AT&T stock, and my question is, what's your view, what's your opinion on the upcoming spinoff of Warner Media? I, I don't do like, you the, think I don't like the balance sheet. I don't like the balance sheet, and I am very concerned. I mean, even Verizon's down a lot. I think there's too much competition given that balance sheet that they have. Let's go to Terry in Washington. Terry! Hi, Jim. My stock is Gladstone Land Corporation, symbol L-A-N-D. You know, I, I, am a, I am a gentleman farmer, and they do farmland, and the stock's been very hot. Let me do some homework on that one, because it's intrigued me, but it doesn't have that good a yield, so it hasn't gotten me off the, uh, let's just say, uh, off the whole pile, but let me do some work. Robert in New Jersey. Robert. Hey, Jim. This is Robert from beautiful Manalapan, New Jersey. Booyah. How are you, buddy? It is beautiful down there in Manalapan. I'm good. How about you? We have a lot of friends in common, I'm sure. What's going on? Well, listen, you know, I have a small position, a more medium-sized position in Robert Hood, and I wanted to know, in your opinion, do you think the company has some tailwinds behind it, or do you see some challenges that lie ahead? I have to tell you, I think with that install base, uh, if they get their cost down, and they continue to grow, it will grow into a higher stock. But that's a lot of ifs, and I'm not holding my breath. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe! Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hello. Thank you uh, so much for for recommending Albertsons. It uh, more than doubled on me. Well, that was easy. Management was really good. Didn't understand the stock one bit while I was down there in the teens. How can I help you? Yes, uh, so as the spring arrives and with the high price of seed and fertilizer, is uh, Scott's miracle grow a buy? You know, that's a really interesting way to put the uh, inquiry. I think it's much more play on whether there's going to be a spring selling season and people farming again versus, say, last year. And I don't think you're going to have as good a year as last year. I just don't. Let's go to Landy in Georgia. Landy. Hello, Jim. This is Landy. Um, I'm uh, um, a running specialist. Uh, several years ago, we brought in a uh, Swedish footwear brand. Uh-huh. Uh, each year, their sales have increased steadily, and their products seem to be evolving. And uh, last fall, they went public, and uh, they traded as high as fifty-five eighty-seven. Low was nineteen seventy-five, and today they finished at twenty-seven forty-four. I wanted to to know what you thought. Maybe uh, a short and long-term outlook was for which it's which um, one. On okay, look, they have very hot shoes, but I've got to tell you, they came public during a period we said that they were better than the rest of the lot. But you know what? It's an eight billion dollar company, and that's probably too high, given the fact that they're not making money. If they start making money, then I'll tell you that it's okay. But we're not recommending a lot of stocks that aren't making money. And uh, let's take another. Let's go to Richard in Florida. Richard. Hello, Mr. Kramer. First off, I just want to give you credit where credit's due and with much gratitude. Thank you, sir, for continuously sharing your wisdom and experience in the industry. Thanks. Now, after reading your book, Getting Back to Even, you're welcome. After reading your book, Getting Back to Even, I listened to your advice on secondary offerings. Okay. On the company who closed at $334 just before announcing a secondary price at a much lower $295. Right. I mean, it's like deja vu right. or digital right. twin. That's exactly what I wrote what about. Absolutely. <laughs> what I read in your book happened right in front of my eyes, and today it hit a high of uh, 340. So, Jim, 
I'd like to hear your thoughts on the company Solar Edge Technology. Okay, that's had such a big bounce that I am now concerned. I like the company, but I think it's had too big a bounce, and I'm not going to recommend it. But it is making money, so it's not a terrible stock. It's pretty, probably pretty good investment, just not great. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. The working American finally caught a break. But was that light just a headlamp of an oncoming train? Kramer's got what you need to get off the tracks. Next. Right now, the Fed is in the driver's seat, so you need to understand where our central bankers are coming from. See, the Fed had a great plan. Keep interest rates low, keep the economy humming. Eventually, everybody who wants a job will get one. And we'll all live as comfortably as possible through the pandemic. That plan succeeded. If anything, it succeeded too well. We now have far more jobs than there are people to fill them. In some ways, I know that's a high-quality problem. For the first time in decades, working people caught a real break. Job opportunities, rising wages, and of course, some cold, hard cash from the federal government. But then things went haywire. First, the federal benefits ran out just as the Omicron strain spread across the country. Then consumer price inflation exploded to the point where it's outpacing wage growth. Food went crazy as grain prices soared. And there simply aren't enough competing food processors out there to push those prices back down, courtesy of the endless mergers in the industry. Plus, because this is work that can't be done from home, many of these factories became COVID hotspots, further driving up the cost of food. Costs that these companies passed on to you, the consumer. A box of cereal, a side of beef, an avocado, a piece of bacon, all flying. Store shelves are empty as people try to get ahead of the next price hike. And then oil went nuts, too. Now, some of it's hoarding in case Russia goes offline. Some of it's the newfound discipline of American producers I keep telling you about. They're acting like a homegrown version of OPEC. That's why I like the stocks. But a lot of it comes down to demand. The rise of hybrid work meant more cars, which means more drivers filling up. Oh, and heaven help you if you need a vehicle. The automakers don't have enough semiconductors to ramp up production because modern cars are loaded with technology. The shortage is so bad, used cars are selling for new car prices. Oh, by the way, and analysts keep cutting forecasts, including tonight, because of a lack of vehicles to sell. The result? Wages may be up, but not enough to offset these everyday price increases. At the end of the day, capital has more pricing power than labor again, even with this tight job market. Now, the sad thing about j plan is that it could have worked if not for all these supply disruptions. Unfortunately, the disruptions only got worse with Russia's insane invasion of Ukraine and a new COVID variant wreaking havoc in China. But now we've got persistent inflation, and it's the kind of inflation that hits working people the hardest. Believe me, the rich don't notice the increase in price of a box of Cheerios or a piece of flank steak. They can buy new cars that are loaded with tech without batting an eyelash. And, of course, unlike regular people, the wealthy have gigantic gains in the stock market to offset whatever damage there might be. So now we're in a position where the poor are eating the cost of inflation just when the government has cut off its pandemic assistance, including the very generous child tax credit payments that expired at the beginning of the year. How about gasoline? Our country has a vast strategic petroleum reserve, but do you really want to tap into that at a time when there's a real possibility of a war with Russia? We can cajole Saudi Arabia to pump more, perhaps offering some incentives to U.S. producers. I doubt those will work. We could suspend the Jones Act, which would make it cheaper to ship crude from the south to the north. Right now, you can't really transport it by water because it's illegal to use foreign flag ships, which is most of them. Hey, maybe we can make a deal with Venezuela to get them pumping. Oh, man, can you imagine doing a deal with Iran? 
The most important thing to recognize, though, we're at a moment where Jay Powell needs to kill inflation now in order to keep prices low for regular people. And that's a tough mission. Right now, try as he might, Powell knows that in the last six months, we've gotten into a rich get richer, poor get poorer mode. And until he breaks the cycle of price increases, that's where we're going to stay. I like to say there's always bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.